Hi, this is Bill Prater, and welcome to Business Builder Show, where we feature hyper-successful business owners from all over the planet. And they come to you because we want to bring you inspirational, promotional, provocative resources that you can use to inspire, promote, and accelerate your quest for business excellence. Today, we're going to talk about winning corporate clients is like nothing at all what you think it is. We'll do that with Angelique Ruers. Now, Angelique is the bold, always blunt, and unapologetic CEO of Bolt House, an Inc. 5000 company that trains and advises both small enterprises and self-employed professionals on winning corporate clients. Inc. Magazine, in fact, calls her the undisputed champion at helping small businesses land big clients. Having successfully navigated all sides of corporate buying, of the corporate buying table for more than 20 years, including hiring more than 300 plus vendors and service providers and landing her own corporate clients, she has a direct understanding of how decision makers make decisions and what they look for when they are hiring outside subject matter experts. Bold House's conferences bring entrepreneurs together with major brands like just a few, Coca-Cola, UPS, AT&T, Accenture, Intel, IBM, HP, Marriott, Chevron, Major League Baseball, and if I had time, I'd read the complete list, which is thousands long. Angelique, it's fantastic to have you here. I'm so honored, and I, I really mean that. I know you get incredible guests on this show, so it's genuinely an honor to be here. And now, but you've, you've come in here to dazzle everybody. <laughs> So tell I'll us. see what I can do. I'll well, see what I, I can you, do. <laughs> I, I am very curious about specifically who you and Bold House serves. So we work with a pretty broad range. So on that self-employed expert side, it's it's usually the professional service providers, the consultants, the executive coaches, the trainers, the keynote speakers, the event planners, and uh, you know advertising experts, graphic designers. But we work with some pretty unique companies up the up the food chain as well. You know, a woman-owned, minority-owned, an LGBTQIA plus-owned business, someone who's certified as a diverse-owned company company that wants to sell into that supply chain and into corporations. So it's pretty broad. It's really anyone who is bringing value to corporations or other large organizations. You know, our clients work with nonprofits, NGOs, colleges and universities, state, local, federal, and international government. So it's really a pretty broad range. And I think one way to think of it is if you're going to bring value to an organization where the decision maker is making a decision on behalf of the organization, not on behalf of themselves. It doesn't feel like they're buying, you know, a lot of small business owners. It's a, it's more of a personal sale. You know, it's their money. It's their revenue. Um, when you're a decision maker and you're making that decision with someone else's money, meaning the company's or organization's money, that's a very different psychology. And so we're really helping people who are just getting started or who have been doing it for 40 years to do it better. Now, uh, I've talked to you in the past, so I know that you can collapse the universe into a couple problems 
that all of those people you just listed share. And what are those problems in dealing with uh, corporations? I love that you're asking me that because the internet and all the gurus on the internet have just loved to overcomplicate all of this. There are just three problems that you have to solve if you want to sell your expertise or your software or your services in, into corporations. The first problem is you have to have enough real decision makers to talk to. The second problem is they have to want to talk with you because if they don't want to talk with you, they can definitely avoid you. And the third is when you do talk to them, you have to have the right conversation at the right time. And so if you can really understand every single day that whether it's you or if, if you're a solopreneur or if you are the head of a, a $30 million enterprise, that those are the three problems that your marketing and sales team need to solve every single day. But it really comes down to just those three things. Do you have a big enough net of people to talk to? Are they talking to your team or to you? And when you get that ultimate, you know, golden opportunity to be at the table with those decision makers, are you having the right conversation? And really any one of those not firing on all cylinders is a single point of failure to your ability to sustain growth and to become more relevant. So, you know, if you don't really wrap your head around those three issues and, and figure out how to solve them, you've got a problem. Yes. And I know uh, that uh, you've been able to simply explain the problems, but getting them done is not easy. It's hard. And that's why you're here to help people out. So uh, I'd like to hear a little bit about how you typically help people solve this problem. And maybe Angelique, you could give us two case studies, hopefully out of your mind. One, tell us about a solopreneur or a coach or something like that. And maybe the other would be a multi-million dollar small business that wants to get into corporate uh, America successfully. So maybe two case studies to give us an illustration of how you and your team help people. Sure. Well, I'll tell you out of those three problems that I just mentioned, I'll actually tell you that the first problem is the easiest to solve. And yet it's the one that I would say consumes 80 to 90% of people's attention and they don't worry about the other two problems. And that's why they have huge marketing and sales problems in their business. Because when it comes to having enough decision makers to talk to, you can, you can solve that problem with money. Now, a lot of people misunderstand and they forget that often the cheapest way to pay for things is with money. And so instead they try to pay for it through elbow grease. So that's a whole other conversation, but you can, you can buy visibility. There are conferences, there are now virtual conferences. There are, you know, industry associations that have partnerships. There's YouTube advertising, there's sponsorships. I mean, there are, there are a lot of ways to expand your visibility. Some of them are more effective. Some of them are less effective. And I'll actually talk about that in a second, but everybody puts all of their time and energy. And, and nowadays they're throwing crap on social media all the time and decision makers aren't even there. And so they're wasting all this time, but they think they're getting visibility. But most people really spend all their time looking at that first problem. And they spend very, very little time trying to engineer conversations with decision makers. And I do use that word very purposely of engineering conversations with those decision makers. That's like, that is what we call the mushy middle, the mushy middle. Cause then people say to us, well, Angelique, you know, once I get to the sales table, once I'm talking to the decision maker, I'm usually pretty good at that. 
They don't realize how much money they're actually leaving on the table until we fix that for them. But they think they're pretty good at that. They have a very mushy middle um, and they're putting all of their time and getting visibility that goes nowhere. So I just kind of want to point that out. And, and the one that is actually the hardest is the mushy middle. The we, we show people the scripts and how to actually structure those conversations with decision makers, how to identify which of five different types of conversations you're having and what to do in each of those conversations. So that's actually really teachable and it's very repetitive. You can say, this is how you're going to have the conversations and this is what you do. You can buy visibility. Some of it is a better technique than others. Nowadays, it's all about engagement, having an opportunity to have a two-way conversation with decision makers. And then you've got this mushy middle that you need to fix. And that's really the hardest one, getting them to want to talk with you. They don't want to talk to you, by the way, because they're insanely busy and people trying to sell stuff suck at, you know, creating those, the, the way they show up to those conversations, they bring zero value to the decision maker. They think they're bringing value. They're not. And so the decision makers are like, I'm really busy. Why do I don't need to buy from you right now? So I don't want to have that conversation because you're just going to try to sell me something I don't need. So I think it's really important to understand their psychology and why they don't want to meet with you. One of our sort of magic ingredients is helping people to engineer a reason why they would want to talk to you. So here's one of the case studies I'll share with you. Uh, we were working with a company. They were over 10 million, uh, 10, 12 million at the time. Um, and they came in to work with us to do a strategy day. And they were really frustrated because their entire industry, they're in a service industry. So they're not a coach or a consultant. They actually provide sort of a service uh, to companies and industry associations. And they were really frustrated because they kept getting stuck in an RFP process, a request for proposal process. And so these, they would put all of this time and energy into these RFPs because the companies really thought that the service they were buying was pretty much a commodity. And what would often happen is they would be one of the highest priced uh, vendors in the process because they would really have a lot of um, value added expertise they were bringing. So they weren't the cheapest. They weren't trying to compete on money. But the RFP process often rewards the vendor that is the cheapest, or here's what decision makers do, right? They don't pick bill the cheapest because they think, well, we don't want to be cheap. We'll get the one that's like second cheapest, right? So they, they go one up. So that was his, his problem. And they didn't really want to ever meet with them because they had this RFP process. So what we did is we engineered with them a type of after action review that a, a sort of a templated free service that they could provide these companies that after the companies had just completed the thing that this company will ultimately, our client wanted to help them with the following year, they just found out, let's just say it's a new product launch. I'll pick a new, it wasn't a new product launch, but for sake of this example. So they would know, you know, Coca-Cola just launched a new product. We're going to offer them a very specific type of after action review completely for free, go in, do this for them, give them feedback on what they did. Why? Just so they'll spend a half a day with us. 
Because if we can get in there and do this after action review with them for free and just give them free best practices on what they could have done differently with that after action and be able to have a walkaway report at the end of the day of things of what went well, what didn't, and we structured that out with them. Now, all of a sudden, they started booking all of these meetings with potential prospects before this company even would think about issuing another, you know, a new RFP for the following year, getting to spend three, four hours with the decision makers, adding real value to their organizations. They've ended up making millions and millions of dollars off of that one technique because the clients who say yes, the prospects who say yes to doing the after action review are thinking to themselves, well, we really aren't happy with how things went this past year. So we would love some outside advice. And that's the perfect opportunity for them to swoop in and build that relationship and really get out in front of the situation before there's an RFP on the street. Because once the RFP is issued, it's too late. Now you're competing on price. So that's what we mean about creating reasons why these decision makers want to have a conversation with you. And you think, well, that's four hours of their time. Yeah, you're darn sure. Tootin that, you know, it's four hours of their time, but think about how many hours to answer an RFP that you don't even win. You're talking 40 hours. So it completely changed the way that they think about getting customers, prospects, clients to want to talk to them. We call that a bridge strategy because it bridges from your marketing into sales. And again, that's your mushy middle. That's your weakest point. But that that strategy, fixing, plugging that hole for this company, and we do that for all of our clients, what is that going to look like? Because in that case, it's brought in millions and millions of dollars to their business. Um, another example on the front end in terms of having enough decision makers to want to talk to, we have one, two of our clients, small business owners, they're both coaches. Um, you know, they have a couple of people on their teams, but they're much smaller. Um, they used our executive forum strategy. They just went out to a conference out West. They called the conference ahead of time and said, we'd like to do an executive roundtable with some leaders who are going to be there. Uh, we'll come in early we'll do this as just a value add and we'll lead this conversation. That's really almost a blend, by the way, of the bridge strategy and the visibility strategy, but it's all about engagement. They walked out of there with a million dollars identified in new business. And let me tell you, when you're a coach, when you're a leadership coach, the average salary for most leadership coaches is around 50, 60,000. So you walk out of a two hour experience with real decision makers that, by the way, a conference, you know, put those people in that room, essentially. Um, and you've identified a million dollars in new business between two, you know, leadership experts. That's not a bad day. Um, now, we give them a bridge strategy to go from speaking one to many or engaging one to many many to then engaging one-on-one. -on -one. Um, but that's another example. And I think all, you know, folks think, you know, oh, I've got to build this huge company to be able to sell to corporate. No, you don't. Oh, I've got to write content left, right, and center day in, day out on social media. No, you don't. Oh, I've got to build an email list. No, you don't. You need to have enough decision makers to talk to you and you got to get them to want to talk to you. That's what you've got to do. So I, I hope those two examples give people some ideas, some inspiration. But that's really, I think, Bill, our magic is that we really come at it from a very practical and, and a, I'm all about longevity 
of strategies. You know, sure, you can you can have Zoom or Metaverse or whatever the next thing is that's out there. But at the end of the day, humans are still what this is all about. You know, Daniel Pink had it right. It's human to human. So the question is, how are you engaging these humans? And how are you really, you know, getting the right conversations with them? And it is not by harassing them on LinkedIn. It is not about harassing them through email. That is not what the game is about. So that I love those two case studies and thanks for do, taking the time to give us two of them, distinctly different and yet uh, uh, strategically a little bit similar. I like that very much. I know you'd have hundreds of those. We do. Those two are on my mind uh, just because they're more recent. And I think that, you know, those are two of the problems we hear from folks all the time is, but I don't know anybody. Like, how am I going right. to get started? And, you know, so then they think they have to spend a lot of money on social media advertising or an online funnel versus calling a conference and teaming up with, you know, really using those centers of influence that really already have your target audience and finding a way to bring more value to what they're trying to do. Um, and I think one of the other things I said to my clients recently was, you know, a lot of what you guys do, you, you complain that it's hard to explain. You find it hard to write about it on a website or it's like, oh, my clients don't know it until they've gone through it and then they can really experience it. Well, then why aren't you giving people a, a chance to experience it? There's a reason product mm. companies do product development or excuse me, product demos. You know, it's like there's a reason for product demos. There's a reason that the cars, you know, industry before the pandemic had car shows so that people could come and touch and feel and experience sitting in the new car. You know, how are you, if you're selling the invisible, as the expression goes, if you're selling the invisible, how are you giving people a chance to experience you? and experience what you do? And do you really want to hang your whole business success on your copywriting skills? And copywriting is a tough skill. I can tell you, I'm, I'm an international award-winning copywriter from my past. So it is a hard, hard skill. Is that really what you want to hang your hat on? Or would you rather say, how am I engineering experiences? How am I engineering conversations that people really get to engage with me or me and my team if you're a bigger business owner. So I think that's really, we've got to change the way we're thinking about solving these problems. So talking about differentiation, mm. if we were to go into a search engine and type in, how do I sell to corporate 500? Up comes your gigantic list of competition. Yes. So Angelique, tell us how your company differentiates its, itself. So what makes you unique? Why should people forget about going through that Google search and just directly get a hold of you as they have the opportunity yeah. to right now, if you will? Yeah, uh, there's a handful of reasons. Uh, okay. One of the reasons is just our incredible track record of results. We've been doing this a long time. You know, I left my corporate job back in 2006, and it was in 2007 that women business owners in Baltimore started approaching me saying, how in the world at basically 30 years old are you getting all of these corporate customers, all of these corporate clients? How are you doing it? And so we've been doing this, you know, there's, you know, even in 2007, even though I still 
was doing some other things, that's when I started teaching people how to do this. So we've been doing it a long time and, and our results really speak for themselves. I think though the, the story behind the results, why we're so effective at doing it. Um, number one, I am the, the, I am very jaded and skeptical and I was as a decision maker and I was not in procurement. I was not in supply chain. Thank God I wasn't because I would have had a very warped view about all of this. So I'm glad I wasn't in either of those areas. I worked directly for C-level executives in the Fortune 500. My very first job, the CEO sat maybe 30 feet from me and I was essentially his special projects person. So, you know, I was always dealing with decisions, purchase decisions from executive vice presidents, the CFOs, the CIOs, the CEOs of major corporations. And I sat through, you mentioned in my introduction that I hired 300 plus outside vendors and experts and consultants and, and whatnot. But there are three, four, five, six thousand that I did not hire that I had to sit through meetings with. And um, I am not someone who teaches any of the old school sales strategies because decision makers freaking hate it. Though I, I just, it makes my skin crawl some of the things that salespeople are taught to do. Uh, questions like, well, if I was able to show you all the answers today, how quickly would you be able to make a decision? Are you out of your mind? That decision maker doesn't even know who else internally at that point they're really going to have to sift through meetings with to work out all the interdependencies and all the complexities. It, it really shows a complete lack of understanding of the environment that you're selling into. So we don't teach any of that crap. I really come at it from the perspective of I sat in those executive board team meetings. I know exactly when we rolled our eyes and when we were like, are you kidding me? Um, so I bring all of that sort of skepticism and like, no, that's still not going to do it. That's not going to be valuable enough to get to that meeting with that decision maker. you got to try harder. you got to think, you know, more clearly about the value and what you're going to do to add to this relationship. And then I think the other part that makes us really different, and I always struggle a little bit to articulate this, although obviously I don't struggle to articulate much here, but I struggle with this a little bit. But a lot of times business owners don't understand truly where their expertise fits in to the companies. So we are really um, the key masters. We carve the key of our clients so that it fits into the lock to unlock the doors with these companies. People come in and they're like, oh, I'm, you know, I help with human performance or, you know, we help them increase their sales or we help them. They talk in these big generalizations and they really don't understand what is the exact thing that their company does and talk about it, Bill, in a way that actually matches either what's on the to-do list of that leader, what's on that leader's calendar, or what's in that leader's inbox. Because they don't just buy human performance. They don't just buy innovation. They don't just buy improved sales. They are all working towards the same kind of to-do list that you have in your own business. So how, get your arms around your business. The problem with a lot of the marketing strategies that are out there is they just want to put lipstick on a pig. If if you don't know what your business is really about, I don't care if you're using webinars. I don't care if you're speaking at conferences. I don't care if you're doing podcasts. If you don't know what your business is about and you haven't really defined that, no amount of marketing is really going to help you. And I think that unlike a lot of experts, 
experts out there. We really take the time to look at our clients' background and their case history of their clients, what they're capable of doing. We have them bring every bit of their professional experience on the table. And we look at that as a jigsaw puzzle and we re-put the pieces together on the table to give them the picture of what their business is really about. And then that creates this sort of clarity and confidence sandwich that all of a sudden they're like, now I know what I do. Like I've been trying to sell stuff, but I never really knew what I did. You just told me what I do. Now I can go talk about it. Now I can have a conversation with a decision maker. Now I feel like I understand what our value is and I'm not really kind of hiding. Um, and I think there's a lot of that. I'll, I'll close this question by saying this, Bill. I think a lot of people out there have a lot of hesitancy in creating conversations with decision makers, speaking at conferences, really being out there, because there's a part of them that has this lack of confidence or this embarrassment that they still don't know entirely what their business is all about, and they don't want to get found out. And so a lot of times there's a lot of tears at the table, men and women alike, right? Like, I mean, it's, it's just this very emotional thing of feeling like I'm putting in all this time and energy, but I have a secret. And my secret is there are still certain things about my business I don't understand. And so our clients say to us, the thing that people say to us that really hits home for me and my whole team is when they're literally sitting across the table from us and they say, I have done strategy days with the biggest names in the world, and I won't, I won't call those people out here, but um, you are the first team or the first person who actually sees me and really took the time to see me and to get to know me, to understand my background, and to just not just try to throw some stuff at me, but you got to see me and I feel seen for the first time in my entire business. And so I think people come to us because of the results on the front end, but the experience on the back ends with us is one of being seen. And I think that's why our clients stay with us five, seven, 10 plus years. That's beautiful. I love the word pictures with the, the key carving, and the jigsaw assembling, and then your, your, your kind of capstone where you say, for the first time ever, I feel like I understand myself, and thanks for seeing me as a total service provider in this niche. So that's very clear of how you're different than your competition. So I think everybody listening, uh, whether or not you're a prospective employee of Angelique's, if you're a vendor, if you're a, a potential customer, I think she's done a beautiful job of explaining her company's uniqueness in her very busy market. So reach out and talk to her. And I'm going to ask her how you can do that in a bit. But now, Angelique, what I'd like you to do is to change hats, put on your business owner's hat. Sure. And I know that at least one milestone was it happened in 2006. So kind of walk us through your story. We'd like to know about some of the major successes that you've had, maybe one or two of the failures. And then for both of those, what your lessons learned were. Sure. Yeah. So um, you, I mentioned already that I, that I worked in corporate and I had some, some interesting roles and was involved in a lot of different things. And um, at a very early age, 
I, I think I saw that there were going to be limitations for me in the corporate space. And I was very impatient uh, about my growth. And I really wanted to, to be able to grow my personal growth at, at the pace I wanted to, not based on annual promotion schedules. And so I was sitting in my office one night. And I was signing off on uh, some invoices from consultants who were working for me in my department. And I think it must have been midnight around this time. And I'm thinking, you know, I just want to go home, but I've got to get these, these invoices signed off on. And I was sort of looking at the dollar figures on those invoices. And I have that V8 moment, that awareness moment of, why am I on this side of the desk and I'm signing off on invoices with consultants who are making double and triple my annual salary in one month. And yet I'm the one who's hired them. I'm directing their work. I'm creating, I'm, I'm fixing their work half the time because it's not very good. And yet they're the ones who are sitting on the beach every weekend while I've got this stack of work to do. Maybe I should be a consultant. So, um, so I decided to quit my job and start my own consulting business. And, and at the time, I didn't really know about the online marketing space or the idea that you could teach other business owners how to do stuff. Like, like that just didn't even exist in my world. My entire world consisted of Fortune 500. So I, um, I started a consulting business selling back to corporate, and that went really well. I was then asked to speak at a conference for women business owners in Baltimore about media relations uh, in terms of what they wanted me to speak on. And I kept saying no. And the conference organizer really persisted to the point that she took me out to lunch and was like, okay, I'm not really asking anymore. I'm letting you know, I need you to speak at my conference. Like you, you're coming and you're going to speak. So, uh, so, so I agreed. And uh, I mean, she was funny about it, but she's like, no, Angelique, seriously, I need you to do this for me. So I went and I spoke at the conference, but um, the attendees sort of hijacked my presentation. And they weren't so interested in getting a press release out about their business so much as they were curious how I had built up the client list that I already had just a year and a half, two years into being a business owner. So after that session, several women came up to me, asked me if I co you know, coached business owners, consulted with business owners, and I said no. Several of them kept chasing me for months, and one eventually showed up at my front door at my house, uh, which was a very uncomfortable situation because it was like two o'clock and I was still in my PJs. So there was that. But at any rate, I ended up starting this business um, because the market kept asking me, and that's how it happens sometimes. So that's how I started the business. It took me a little while to move sort of more fully into this world. When we officially formed this business, it was called The Corporate Agent, and that was in 2010 when I really put my stake in the ground and said, this is what I'm going to focus my life on. So that was 2010. In 2013, uh, that was a next major milestone for us because I decided to start hosting an annual conference, uh, which really puts your business on the map in a different way. And it creates community in a different way. And so that was a huge moment for us. That was at the Gaylord National, just outside of Washington, D.C. in 2013. Um, I brought in major corporations. It's really at that time, and really still to this day, our conference is really the only event on the planet 
that is for smaller businesses. You don't have to be a woman-owned business. Say, you know, we bank national. You have to be a certified woman-owned business. This is really for service providers uh, who want to work with companies and to be able to spend three days in a room just based with service providers working with corporates. So that was a big deal in 2013. Um, I think two of our other milestones, you mentioned one of them last year, we made the Inc. 5000 list, which was uh, really very exciting for us. And um, especially when you consider that that was based on 2020 financials, which was the pandemic year. So to make the Inc. 5000 list with really the most recent data being out of the year of the pandemic, when I think there was maybe a month of time, most of us didn't know just how dire things were going to go with the pandemic. I mean, I think there was a time some of us wondered if the economy would completely collapse. Um, so that, and then we also rebranded. Um, in fact, we announced our rebrand on the exact same day that we found out we made the Inc. 5000 list. We didn't know we'd find out that day. That wasn't, that was just serendipitous by the universe. But we put out a press release that at 8 a.m. in the morning that the corporate agent was now, um, was, was now, or excuse me, at 8 a.m. that morning, we put out an email saying that we were rebranding. And then later that afternoon, we got the email from uh, the Inc. list saying we had made the Inc. 5000. So that was a pretty momentous day, I would say, um, you know, and uh, that was huge. So the rebrand was really important, Bill, because um, the name the corporate agent caused a lot of market confusion um, and it was quite boring. So people thought we were more of an agency and it also was about me. So the person who came up with that name was thinking, oh, Angelique, this was back in 2008, they came up with the name, or 2009. Um, Angelique, you're the corporate agent because you're the secret agent inside of companies that knows what's going on. So it was all about me. The name Bold House is about our community. Our, our clients are the bold and we're the home where they stay year after year after year. Even they, they might go learn a strategy over here or a strategy over there. But at the end of the day, these small business owners come back to us and, and we're the community that they consider their home base. So that's what the name Bold House was all about. Um, and it really, I think also the rebrand was about illustrating that we're fun and it's okay to have fun while you're growing a business. And you don't need to take yourself seriously all the time. Um, and so we really wanted to bring some of that personality and, and who we really are behind the scenes out in front of the brand and not have it so, you know, buttoned up and so corporate-y. So that's, that, those are our big milestones. So what's holding you back right now? Um, I think now one of the things holding us back is we really need to build out our digital marketing strategy um, because digital marketing changes all the time. I haven't, I put my energy, I mean, we got to the Inc. 5000 list in real life, as the kids would say, IRL. So through sponsorships, through speaking, through direct outreach, you know, through networking, through referral programs, through, you know, we really built this business the old fashioned way. And we know we have to, the way we scale is with massive investment into digital marketing. And I'm okay with having done it in that order. Digital marketing, if you don't really know what your business is all about, digital marketing is an expensive way to figure that out. You know, you're just going to burn a lot of dollars. If you're trying, if you think that you're going to just figure everything out about your business in the online space, that's, 
that's very expensive and risky. We figured it out in real world. And I, so I'm, so yeah, what's holding me back now is we really have to go all in on digital. Um, so that's what we plan on doing next. So uh, we've, uh, you've attracted a lot of people here, uh, potential customers, current customers, your employees now, potential employees, vendors, and so forth and so on. How can those people get a hold of you, Angelique? What's, yes. the, what's the one or two best ways to do so? Yeah, so our website is boldhouse.com, and you can kind of see it over my shoulder there. It's B-O-L-D-H-A-U-S. Um, and so that's a really fantastic way to get a hold of us. You can book a call with us through there. Whatever our resources are that we're currently sharing with the world are always through that homepage. And also the list of our upcoming events. Our conference is in October every year, um, but we have webinars and other events that are going on. So that's a really great way. It's a it's home base at boldhouse.com. Um, but you can also get to me through LinkedIn. Um, I'm not on every, I'm not actively on every social media account out there. I don't think as busy CEOs, we can possibly be on every possible social media all the time. It can be a real time suck. Um, but LinkedIn is a great one to find me because that's where I spend the bulk of my time. Um, and I think I'm still the only Angelique Rewers on LinkedIn. So it's very easy to find me. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. So Angelique, uh, I've asked you quite a few questions about your customers and your product and your differentiation with your competitors and how you built your business and what the milestones were and how people can get a hold of you. But I may not have asked a question that you were waiting for me to ask. So what question were you hoping I would ask? And then tell us to answer that question. Yeah. Um, I would have hoped that you asked about what is it most that you need to understand about corporate decision makers today. And the answer to that would be that you have to understand that there are three challenges that they're facing are making sense of things building consensus and mitigating risk. And so if you wanna be successful today, your entire marketing and sales team needs to ask themselves, how can we be the sense makers, the consensus builders and the risk takers, as in taking the risk from the customer? So how can we be the sense builders and the consensus, excuse me, the sense makers, the consensus builders and the risk takers? How can we do that? through our marketing, through our engagement, through what we're doing, how can that be what we're bringing to the table? Because that's really how you bring value to them. It's not by giving them more lousy content to read. They don't have time to absorb all of this content. They're just trying to make sense of things and really be able to make better decisions and get people in the company on board with those decisions and not make them risky decisions. And if your team isn't spending time every single week, or you as a solo business owner aren't spending time every single week thinking, how am I not contributing to that problem for my clients and my prospects, but how am I helping them to solve it? And I really think that that's not just a corporate market space. I think no matter who you sell to, that's got to be what you're thinking about today. Um, this isn't about insight selling. This is, this is like next, next level. And if you're not mastering that, if you're not helping your clients to really deal with those three issues, you have you have an existential problem on your hands in your business. So that's what I would close with. That's fantastic. I really appreciate that. You've been a fantastic, marvelous guest. Thank you so much, Bill, for having me. This is always fun, and it's really an honor to be back. Great. 
So everybody, in closing, let's focus on the single fact. And that is this. Our businesses do not become extraordinary in a single moment. Instead, they get there as a result of the owner first learning and then applying a proven combination of having the right mindset, of a dedication to a system of management, and number three, leveraging high-performance teams, both within your organization and outside people who are very willing to help you, just like Angelique, right here in front of you now. So thanks for listening, Angelique. Once again, thanks for being here with us.